Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Conclusion of Chapter 122, Something to Protect, Hermione Granger. Harry's throat was choked. He reached into his pouch and signed C-L-O-A-K, since he couldn't speak, and drew forth the fuliginous spill of the Cloak of Invisibility, offering it to Hermione for the last time. Harry had to force the words from his throat. This is the true Cloak of Invisibility, the deathly hallow passed down from Ignatus Peveril to his heirs the Potters. And now, to you. Harry! Hermione's hands flew up across her chest, as though to protect herself from the attacking gift. You don't have to do this. I do have to do this. I've left the part of the path that lets me be a hero. I can't risk myself adventuring, ever. And you... can. Harry reached up the hand that wasn't holding the cloak and wiped at his eyes. This was made for you, I think, for the person you're going to become. A weapon to fight death in its form as the shadow of despair that falls on human minds and drains away their hope for the future. You will fight that, I expect, in more forms than just Dementors. I do not loan you my cloak, but give you unto Hermione Jean Granger. Protect her well forevermore. Slowly, Hermione reached out and took hold of the cloak, looking like she was trying not to cry herself. Thank you. I think, even though I'm done with the notion of heroing, I think that you always were, from the day I met you, my mysterious old wizard. And I think... Even if you deny that way of thinking now, I think that you were always destined to become, from the very beginning of the story, the hero. Who must Hermione Granger become? What adult form must she take when she grows up to pass through time's narrow keyhole? I don't know the answer to that either, any more than I can imagine my own adult self but her next few steps ahead seem clearer than mine. Harry let the cloak go and passed it from his hands to hers. It sings. It's singing to me. She reached up and wiped at her own eyes. I can't believe you did that, Harry. Harry's other hand came out of his pouch, now bearing a long golden chain, at the end of which dangled a closed golden shell. And this is your personal time machine. There was a pause, during which the planet Earth rotated a bit further in its orbit. What? A time-turner, they call it. Hogwarts has a stock they give out to some students. I got one at the start of the year to treat my sleep disorder. It lets the user go backwards in time, in up to six one-hour increments, which I use to get six extra hours per day to study and to vanish out of potions class, and so on. Don't worry, a time-turner can't change history or generate paradoxes that destroy the universe. 
you were keeping up with me in lessons by studying six extra hours per day using a time machine. Hermione Granger seemed to be having trouble with this concept for some unaccountable reason. Harry made his face look puzzled. Is there something odd about that? Hermione reached out and took the golden necklace. I guess not by wizard standards. For some reason, her voice sounded rather sharp. She arranged the chain around her neck, placing the hourglass inside her shirt. I do feel better now about keeping up with you, though, so thank you for that. Harry cleared his throat. <clears throat> also, since Voldemort wiped out the House of Monroe, and then, so far as everyone believes, you avenged them by killing Voldemort... I got Amelia Bones to railroad a bill through what's left of the Wizengomet, saying that Granger is now a noble house of Britain. Excuse me? That also makes you the only scion of a noble house, which means that to get your legal majority, you just need to pass your ordinary wizarding levels, which I've set us up to do at the end of the summer, so we'll have some time to study first. If you're okay with that, I mean... Hermione Granger was making some sort of high-pitched noise that would, in a less organic device, have indicated an engine malfunction. I have two months to study for my owls! Hermione, it's a test designed so that most 15-year-olds can pass. Ordinary 15-year-olds. We can get a passing grade with a low third year's power level if we learn the right set of spells, and that's all we need for our own majorities though you'll need to come to terms with getting acceptable scores instead of your usual outstandings. The high-pitched noises coming from Hermione Granger rose in pitch. Here's your wand back. Harry took it from his pouch. And your mokeskin pouch. I made sure they put back everything that was there when you died. That pouch Harry withdrew from a normal pocket of his robes, since he was reluctant to put a bag of holding inside a bag of holding, no matter what was supposed to be harmless, so long as both devices had been crafted observing all safety precautions. Hermione took her wand back, and then her pouch, the motion somehow managing to look graceful, even though her fingers were a bit shaky. Let's see, what else? The oath you swore before to House Potter only said that you had to serve until the day you die, so you're now free and clear. And right after your death, I got the Malfoys to publicly declare that you were innocent of all charges in Draco's attempted murder. Why, thank you again, Harry. That was very nice of you. And them too, I guess. She was repeatedly running her fingers through her chestnut curls, as though, by organizing her hair, she could restore sanity to her life. Last but not least, I had the goblins start the process of building a vault in Gringotts for House Granger. I didn't put any money into it, because that was something where I could wait and ask you first. But if you're going to be a superhero who goes around righting certain kinds of wrongs, it will help a lot if people consider you to be part of the upper social strata. And, um, I think it may help if they know you can afford lawyers. I can put in as much gold into your vault as you want, since after Voldemort killed Nicholas Flamel, I ended up holding the Philosopher's Stone. I feel like I ought to be fainting, only I can't because of my superpowers, and why do I have those again? If it's all right with you, your occlumency lessons will start on Wednesday with Mr. Bester. He can work with you once per day. 
Until then, I think it might be better for the true origin of your powers not to become known just because a Legilimens looks you in the eyes. I mean, obviously there's a normal magical explanation, nothing super supernatural. But people do tend to worship their own ignorance, and... Well, I think the girl who revived will be more effective if you remain mysterious. Once you can keep out Mr. Bester and beat Veritaserum, I'll tell you the entire backstory, I promise. Including all the secrets you can never tell anyone else. That sounds lovely. I'm quite looking forward to it. Though you'll need to take an unbreakable vow to not do anything that might destroy the world before I can tell you the more dangerous parts of the story. I mean, I literally can't tell you otherwise, because I took an unbreakable vow myself. Is that okay? Sure. Why wouldn't it be okay? I wouldn't want to destroy the world anyhow. Do you need to sit down again? Harry was feeling alarmed by the way Hermione was swaying slightly, as though in rhythm with the words being spoken. Hermione Granger took several deep breaths. No, I'm perfectly peachy. Is there anything else I should know about? That was it. I'm finished, at least for now. Harry paused. I do understand that you want to do things for yourself, not just have them done for you. It's just... You're going to be a more serious kind of hero, and the only sane choice is for me to give you all the advantages I can manage. I understand that quite well, now that I've actually lost a fight and died. I didn't used to understand, but now I do. A breeze ruffled Hermione's chestnut hair and stirred her robes, making her look even more peaceful in the dawn air as she raised one hand and carefully clenched it into a fist. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. We need to measure how hard I can punch and how high I can jump, and figure out a safe way to test if my fingernails can kill lethifolds like a real unicorn's horn. And I should practice using my speed to dodge spells I can't let hit me in. Sounds like you could maybe arrange for me to get aura training, like from whoever taught Susan Bones. Hermione was smiling again now, a strange light in her eyes that would have puzzled Dumbledore for hours, and that Harry understood immediately, not without a twinge of apprehension. Oh, and I want to start carrying muggle weapons, maybe hidden so nobody knows I have them. I thought of incendiary grenades when I was fighting the troll, but I knew I couldn't transfigure them fast enough, even after I stopped caring about obeying the rules. I have the feeling, Harry said, imitating Professor McGonagall's accent as best he could, that I ought to be doing something about this. Oh, it's much, much, much too late for that, Mr. Potter. Say, can you get me a bazooka? The rocket launcher, I mean, not the chewing gum. I bet they won't be expecting that from a young girl, especially if I'm radiating an aura of innocence and purity. All right, now you're starting to scare me. Hermione paused from where she was experimenting with balancing on the tip of her left shoe, her arm reaching in one direction and her right leg stretched in the other like a ballet dancer. Am I? I was just thinking that I didn't see what I could do that a ministry squad of hit wizards couldn't. They have broomsticks for mobility and spells that hit harder than I possibly could. She gracefully lowered her leg back down. I mean, now that I can try a few things without worrying about who's watching, I'm starting to think that I really, really, really like having superpowers. But I still don't see how I could win a fight that Professor Flitwick couldn't, not unless it involves me taking a dark wizard by surprise. You can take risks other people shouldn't, and try again with the knowledge of what killed you. 
you can experiment with new spells, more than anyone else could try without dying for sure. But Harry couldn't say any of that yet, so instead he said, I think it's okay to think more about the future, not just what you can do this very minute. Hermione jumped high in the air, clicked her heels together three times on the way down, and landed on her tiptoes, perfectly posed. But you said there was something I could do right away. Or were you just testing? That part is a special case, Harry said, feeling the chill of the dawn air against his skin. He was increasingly not looking forward to telling Super Hermione that her ordeal would involve facing her literal worst nightmare under conditions where all her newfound physical strength would be useless. Hermione nodded, then glanced to the east. At once she went to the side of the roof and sat down, her legs dangling over the rooftop ledge. Harry went to her side and sat down too, sitting cross-legged and further back of the roof edge. In the distance, a brilliant tinge of red was rising above the hills to the east of Hogwarts. Watching the tip of the sunrise made Harry feel better, somehow. So long as the sun was still in the sky, things were still all right on some level, like his having not yet destroyed the sun. So... Hermione's voice rose a bit. Speaking of the future, Harry, I had time to think about a lot of things while I was waiting in St. Mungo's, and maybe it's silly of me, but there's a question I still want to know the answer to. Do you remember the last thing we talked about together? Before, I mean. What? Oh, it was two months ago for you. I guess you don't recall then. And Harry remembered. Don't panic, Hermione said as a sort of strangled half-gurgle came from Harry's throat. I promise no matter what you say, I won't burst into tears and run away and get eaten by a troll again. I know it's been less than two days for me, but I think that dying has made a lot of things I used to fret about seem much less important compared to what I've been through. Oh, that's a good use of a major trauma, I guess. Only see, I was still wondering about it, Harry, because for me it hasn't been very long at all since our last conversation, and we didn't finish talking, which was admittedly all my own fault for losing control of my emotions and being eaten by a troll, which I'm definitely not going to do again. I've been thinking I ought to reassure you, that's not going to happen every time you say the wrong thing to a girl. Hermione was fidgeting, leaning from one side to the other where she sat, slightly back and forth. But, well, even most people who are in love don't do literally one hundredth of what you've done for me. So, Mr. Harry James Potter Evans Varus, if it's not love, I want to know exactly what I am to you. You never said. That's a good question. Harry controlled the rising panic. Do you mind if I think about it? Bit by bit, more of the searingly brilliant circle became visible beyond the hills. Hermione, Harry said when the sun was halfway above the horizon, did you ever invent any hypothesis to explain my mysterious dark side? Just the obvious one. Hermione kicked her leg slightly over the rooftop's edge. I thought that maybe when you know who died right next to you, he happened to give off the burst of magic that makes a ghost, and some of it imprinted on your brain instead of the floor. But that never felt right to me, like it was just a clever explanation that wasn't actually true, and it makes even less sense if you know who didn't really die that night. Good enough. Let's imagine that scenario for now. His inner rationalist was looking back and face palming again 
at how he'd managed to not think about hypotheses like that one. It wasn't true, but it was reasonable, and Harry had never thought of any causal model that concrete, just vaguely suspected a connection. Hermione nodded. You probably know this already, but I just thought I'd say it to be sure. You're not Voldemort, Harry. I know, and that's what you mean to me. Harry took a breath, finding it still painful to say aloud. Voldemort, he wasn't a happy person. I don't know if he was ever happy a single day in his life. He never could cast the Patronus charm. That's one reason his cognitive patterns didn't take me over. My dark side didn't feel like a good place to be. It didn't get positively reinforced. Being friends with you means that my life doesn't have to go the way Voldemort's did. And I was pretty lonely before Hogwarts, although I didn't realize it then. So, yeah, I might have been slightly more desperate to bring you back from the dead than the average boy my age would have been. Though I also maintained that my decision was strictly normative moral reasoning, and if other people care less about their friends, that's their problem, not mine. I see. Hermione hesitated. Harry, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm not 100% comfortable with that. It's a big responsibility that I didn't choose, and I don't think it's healthy for you to lay it on just one person. Harry nodded. I know, but there's more to the point I'm trying to make. There was a prophecy about my vanquishing Voldemort. A prophecy? There was a prophecy about you. Seriously, Harry? Yeah, I know. Anyway, part of it went, and the Dark Lord shall mark him as his equal, but he shall have power the Dark Lord knows not. What would you guess that meant? Hmm. Hermione's fingers tapped thoughtfully on the roof stone. Your mysterious dark side is you know whose mark on you that made you his equal. The power he knew not was the scientific method, right? Harry shook his head. That's what I thought too at first, that it was going to be muggle science or the methods of rationality. But... Harry exhaled. <sighs> The sun had now fully risen above the hills. This felt embarrassing to say, but he was going to say it anyway. Professor Snape, who originally heard the prophecy, yes, that's also a thing that happened. Professor Snape said he didn't think it could just be science, that the power the Dark Lord knows not needed to be something more alien to Voldemort than just that. Even if I think of it in terms of rationality, well, it turns out that the person Voldemort really was... Why, Professor Quirrell? Why? The thought still stabbing sickness at Harry's heart. He'd have been able to learn the methods of rationality too if he read the same science papers I did. Except, maybe, for one last thing. Harry drew a breath. At the end of all of it... During my final showdown with Voldemort, he threatened to put my parents and my friends into Azkaban, unless I came up with interesting secrets to tell him, one person saved per secret. But I knew I couldn't find enough secrets to save everyone. And in the moment that I saw no way at all left to save everyone, that's when I actually started thinking.
maybe for the first time in my life, I started thinking. I thought faster than Voldemort even though he was older than me and smarter, because... Because I had a reason to think. Voldemort had a drive to be immortal. He strongly preferred not to die, but that wasn't a positive desire, it was fear. And Voldemort made mistakes because of that fear. I think the power that Voldemort knew not was that I had something to protect. Oh, Harry. Hermione hesitated. Is that what I am to you then? The thing that you protect? No, I mean, the whole reason I'm telling you this is that Voldemort wasn't threatening to put you in Azkaban. Even if he'd taken over the whole world, you'd have been fine. He'd already made a binding promise not to harm you because of, um, because of reasons. So in my moment of ultimate crisis, when I reached deep down and found the power Voldemort knew not, I did it to protect everyone except you. Hermione considered this, a slow smile spreading over her face. Why, Harry, that's the least romantic thing I've ever heard. You're welcome. No, really, it does help. I mean, it makes the whole thing much less stalkery. I know, right? The two of them shared a companionable nod, both of them looking more relaxed now, and watched the sunrise together. I've been thinking about the alternate Harry Potter, the person I might have been if Voldemort hadn't attacked my parents. If Tom Riddle hadn't tried to copy himself onto me. That other Harry Potter wouldn't have been as smart, I guess. He probably wouldn't have studied much muggle science, even if his mother was a muggle-born. But that other Harry Potter would have had... the capacity for warmth that he'd inherited from James Potter and Lily Evans. He would have cared about other people and tried to save his friends. I know that part would have been true, because that's something Lord Voldemort never did, you see. Harry's eyes were watering. So that part must be... the remnant. The sun was well above the horizon now, the golden light illuminating both of them, casting long shadows off the other side of the rooftop platform. I think you're fine just the way you are. I mean, that other Harry Potter might have been a nice boy, maybe. But it sounds like I would have had to do all his thinking for him. Going by heredity, Alter Harry would have been in Gryffindor like his parents, and the two of you wouldn't have become friends. Though James Potter and Lily Evans were the head boy and head girl of Hogwarts back in the day, so he wouldn't have been that bad. I can just imagine it. Harry James Potter, sorted into Gryffindor, aspiring Quidditch player. No. Just no. Remembered by history as the sidekick of Hermione Jean Granger, who'd send out Mr. Potter to get in trouble for her, and then solve the mystery from the library by reading books and using her incredible memory. You're really enjoying this alternate universe, aren't you? Maybe he'd be best mates with Ron Weasley, the smartest boy in Gryffindor, and they'd fight side by side in my army defense class, and afterwards help each other with their homework. Okay, enough. This is starting to creep me out. Sorry. Though Hermione was still smiling to herself, appearing wrapped in some private vision. Apology accepted. The sun rose a little further in the sky. After a while, Hermione spoke. Do you suppose we'll fall in love with each other later on? 
I don't know any better than you do, Hermione, but why does it have to be about that? Seriously, why does it always have to be about that? Maybe when we're older we'll fall in love, and maybe we won't. Maybe we'll stay in love, and maybe we won't. Harry turned his head slightly. The sun was hot on his cheek, and he wasn't wearing sunscreen. No matter how it goes, we shouldn't try to force our lives into a pattern. I think when people try to force patterns onto this sort of thing, that's when they end up unhappy. No forced patterns. Hermione's eyes had taken on a mischievous look. That sounds like a more complicated way of saying no rules, which I guess seems a lot more reasonable to me than it would have at the start of this year. If I'm going to be a sparkling unicorn princess and have my own time machine, I might as well give up on rules, I suppose. I'm not saying that rules are always bad, especially when they actually fit people, instead of them being blindly imitated like Quidditch. But weren't you the one who rejected the hero pattern in favor of just doing the things she could? I suppose so. Hermione turned her head again to gaze down at the grounds below Hogwarts, for the sun was too bright to look at now. Though, Harry thought, Hermione's retinas would always heal now. It was safe for her alone to look directly into the light. You said, Harry, that you thought I was always destined to be the hero. I've been considering, and I suspect you're completely wrong. If this had been meant to be, things would have been a lot easier all around. Just doing the things you can do, you have to make that happen. You have to choose it over and over again. That might not conflict with your being a destined hero, Harry said, thinking of compatibilist theories of free will and prophecies that he must not look upon in order to fulfill. But we can talk about that later. You have to choose it, Hermione repeated. She pushed herself up on her hands, then popped herself backwards and onto the roof, rising to her feet in a smooth motion. Just like I'm choosing to do this. No kissing! Harry scrambled to his feet and prepared to dodge, though the realization came to him that the girl who revived would be much, much faster. I won't try to kiss you again, Mr. Potter. Not until you ask me, if you ever do. But there are all these warm feelings bubbling up inside of me and I feel like I might burst if I don't do something. Though it does now occur to me that it's unhealthy if girls don't know any way of expressing gratitude to boys besides kissing them. Hermione took out her wand and offered it crosswise, in the position she'd used to swear her oath of fealty to House Potter before the Wizengomet. Oh, hell no! Do you realize what it took to get you out of that oath last time? Don't go jumping to conclusions, you. I wasn't about to swear fealty to your house again. You've got to start trusting me to be sensible if you're going to be my mysterious young wizard. Now please hold out your wand. Slowly, Harry took out the Elder Wand and crossed it with Hermione's ten and three-quarters inches of vinewood, forcing down a last worry about her choosing the wrong thing. Can you at least not say anything about until death takes me? Because did I mention I have the Philosopher's Stone now? Or anything about the end of the world and its magic? I'm a lot more nervous around phrases like that than I used to be. Upon a roof floored in square stony tiles, the brilliant morning sun blazes down upon two not-really-children anymore, both in blue-fringed black robes, facing each other across crossed wands. One has brown eyes beneath chaotic chestnut curls and radiates an aura of strength and beauty that is not magic only. 
The other has green eyes under glasses with messy black hair above a recently inflamed scar. Below, a stone tower nobody remembers seeing from ground level stretches downwards into the broad base of the castle Hogwarts. Far beneath them are visible the green hills and the lake. In the distance, a huge red and black line of rail cars and an engine appearing tiny from this height, a train neither muggle nor fully magical. The sky is nearly unclouded, but for faint tinges of orange-white where wisps of moisture reflect the sunlight. A light breeze carries the crisp chill of dawn and the dampness of morning, but the huge blazing golden globe is now risen high above the horizon, and its incandescence casts warmth on everything it touches. Well, maybe after this you'll be less nervous, the hero says to her enigmatic wizard. She knows she doesn't know the whole story, but the fragment of truth that she does hold shines bright like sunlight within her, casting warmth on her insides, the way the sun warms her face. I do choose this now. Upon my life and magic, I swear friendship to Harry Potter, to help him and trust in him, to stand with him and um, stand by him, and sometimes go where he can't go, till the day that death takes me for real, if it ever does, I mean. And if the world or its magic ends, we'll deal with that together. End. Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Thank you to everyone who's made it this far for listening along. Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit LessWrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Today's music is Morning Sunlight by Chrono Symphonic. Thank you again. <laughs>